0: Hello, this is Terry Cheek. I want to thank you for choosing our broadcast, and my prayer is that it will be an encouragement to your walk with the Lord. Comments or questions can be directed to me via the link on our sermon audio page. Now, on to your selection. Well, tonight we're going to be reading from the book of Revelation again. Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 12, and we're going to take a look. At the church of Pergamos tonight, there are seven churches in the book of Revelation that Revelation opens up with. Those seven churches were real. They existed. And a couple of them still exist today. Now, when I'm talking about a church, I'm not speaking of a physical building. I'm speaking of a group of believers A civilization, a city that actually had to have a group of believers. Now, you think, well, there are Christians everywhere, and probably so. But they don't necessarily come together and worship. But these churches did. They were groups of people who came together and they worshiped. And they they picture or give us an illustration of periods of time Throughout creation, from beginning to end, where God gives us a picture of the attitude and the temptations and the tribulations of people, especially his church. Well, the church of Perdomos tonight still exists. It is a city in Turkey today, not quite as large as it once was. But nonetheless, it is still there, still active today. And there is still a physical church, a physical body of believers there that meet every week. But when we're talking about the church of Pergamos from the book of Revelation, we're talking about a warning that the Lord Jesus Christ gave these people, a warning of where not to go in their, in their life and in their walk with Him and an idea or a direction in where they should be going. Also, it gives us a picture of the attitude and the mentality of people and the persecution, the problems, the troubles that Christians will have during period, during times here on this earth. So I'm going to begin reading with verse 12 out of chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my fate even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone and in the, and a new stone with a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. it. May God add blessings to the reading of his word tonight. As I said earlier, we are talking about the church of Pergamos. We know that during the Bible times that it was a thriving city. It was actually considered the capital of Roman Asia. It was so large. It had something else that made it very impressive, though. It had one of the largest libraries in the world. There were 200,000 volumes in this library. Now, we think, well, our library here in Marion probably has that many books, and it very well may. But, In this day, when this was written, there were no computers. There were no copying machines. There were no printing presses. Everything was hand copied. So when you think about 200,000 volumes that were hand copied, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of dedication. But that's what they had there. They had that library. The only library that was larger was one that was found that was down in Egypt. Called the Alexandrian Library. It was the largest. It was larger than this one. But this one was very close to it. It was impressive. It was an impressive city. It was a wealthy city. Inside of the, uh, inside of the walls and inside of the city limits, There were also sculptures in temples. For example, there were temples to the Greek gods Dionysus, Athena, Asclepius, and Demeter. There were also three temples to the emperor's cult. The emperors in Rome considered themselves gods, and they required worship. So every town in the Roman Empire had to have a temple set up so that people could worship the Roman emperors. Now they could worship as many gods as they wanted and this was just society at that time. You could, you could worship any of these false gods or any of these other gods, that the Greek gods, and you could worship the Roman gods. They had plenty of things for you to do as far as religion went. Plenty of temples that you could go to and visit. That's why the Lord wrote this letter to these churches. That's why he gave it to them. Because he wanted them to know and wanted them to remember there is only one God. And that is the God of heaven that was the creator of the universe and of the earth and of everything in it the same God that was father to Jesus Christ who was the redeemer of men's souls but yet we and mankind in our own uh, in our own arrogance we created all of these other idols even into ourselves and we were requiring others to worship them we were requiring each other to to be there and to pay homage to them and give tithes and offerings to them And God was coming up and God was saying now enough is enough. I'm going to shed light on these things. This idol worship, it had to go. And of course with the idol worship came fornication. And how did that picture into it? Prostitution. Because inside of some of these temples... Part of the worship service was to have intercourse, to engage in sex with temple prostitutes. That was part of the worship. That was where the fornication came in that we read from. And it bled out into society, and it led people to believe and to practice things that were ungodly and immoral. And here this letter is to shed some light on it. There are some things here that I found that I want to share with you tonight. Some things that point back into the society that we live in today. Because when we think about this, about what I've just described to you, about Pergamus and about how it was structured and how the society was, it actually looks a lot like the world we live in today, doesn't it? There is all kinds of things out there that people can worship, all kinds of religion. There is fornication, sexual immorality that's available anywhere, any way. We can have access to anything that we want and we are in a position where we wind up putting this this stuff in front of God and that makes it idol worship by not giving God his due place in our lives so we society today has got a lot of Pergamos built into it and this message to the church in Pergamos has a lot of influx and a lot of input into our personal life one thing I want to Touch on, before I really get into the message. Remember in the scripture that I read, it talked about Balaam and Balak and the Nicolaitans? Well, I don't know if you remember anything about Balaam, but if you've read your Old Testament, if you go back into it, you will find Balaam was a prophet of God. But Balaam had a problem. Balaam was for sale. Balak was an enemy of God's people and of God. And Balak wanted to overthrow or wanted to take down Israel, God's people. So Balak approached Balaam and he offered him money. If he would pronounce a curse against God's people. The only thing Balak didn't realize and didn't understand was the difference between a prophet and a magician. A prophet is not a magician. He don't cast, he don't pronounce cursing. A prophet proclaims a message that God has given him for the people that are present at the time. But old Balaam, being as greedy as he was, he took the money that Balak offered. (coughs) He took that money and he tried four times to proclaim a curse on Israel and every time he tried God took that curse and he turned it into a blessing he wound up helping enhancing blessing bringing Israel up greater than what they were and Balak was, he was flipping out but here Balak come up and he had this idea he said I'll get him, and this is what I'll do he went to Balaam and he said, I want you to preach to them that it is okay for them to come in to these Gentile or pagan nations and it's okay for them to take those women as their wives. Now Balaam already knew that that wasn't right because God had already told them not to do that. Not because of race or anything else, but simply for this reason. God told them not to do it because those pagan countries and nations, they didn't believe in God. They were involved in idol worship and they were involved in all of these other things. They did not believe in God. So God told his people, don't you associate with them. Don't bring that mess into your lives. Well, here is Balaam and he starts preaching that it's okay to do that. And they run straight into it. And they start taking wives and husbands from the pagan nations. And they bring in idol worship into Israel. And it causes God to have to punish Israel. It causes him to have to pronounce judgment on them. Now the warning of that to us today as a church Is that if we start running into these things. And we start bringing them into our lives as Christians. Then we can expect God's judgment. We can expect the very same thing that Israel got. That's a little bit of background. On Balaam and Balak. And the fornication. Fornication. And the picture and the history that it had from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And now let's bring it even closer to the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans is a Greek word. And what it is, is a group of people who were practicing the very same thing that Balak and Balaam were into. Except it was a kind of a new age movement of it. That was just simply with the Greek. So what God's Word is saying is that it doesn't matter if it's Old Testament, if it's first century, or if it's a current new trend that's going. Sin is sin. Wrong is wrong. And if we are children of God, if we are saved, that salvation is permanent. It doesn't matter when we took it. It doesn't matter when we accepted it from children up to adults, but it is a permanent, eternal gift. And because of that eternal gift and because of the permanency of it, we've got to treat it carefully and we've got to be, we've got to handle it with respect and worship to God and not be introducing into our lives things that God calls sin. So how does the Bible help us? How does this scripture, this little passage of scripture, how does it help us to do that? Some things that I want to share with you tonight. First, the Lord speaks first about a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That is the word of God. The Bible speaks clearly about that two-edged sword. As a matter of fact, in revelation one sixteen and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, speaking out of the mouth of Christ, the words that Christ spoke they were that sharp two-edged sword, but let's break it down a little further with a two-edged sword, there's a sharp cutting edge on both sides. So that there's a purpose there for that. Every word that is used in the Bible, there's a purpose for it. And that two-edged sword, one what is it? That means it's two purposes. It's got two purposes. The word of God has two plain and distinct purposes. And the first one is the promise and the message that is contained in God's Word. We have promise after promise after promise in God's Word. We can break them down into two. The first promise is those who accept Christ and are born again as children of God through Jesus Christ will have eternal life. The other side of that message is those who don't are promised eternity in hell. There is no in between. There is no gray area. There is no Standing with one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. There is no straddling the fence. We are promised one or the other. And we are given this life to make a choice. To make a decision. We are born in a sin nature. We are inclined to follow the devil. We are inclined to go down that road. But because of Christ and because of the calling of the Holy Spirit we have the opportunity to move and to make that change by accepting Jesus Christ. That's the simple part of the division of the message of God's Word. So anything that we're reading out of God's Word it is either a promise for the blessings of God's children or it is a condemnation of those who reject God and that holds true in our lives today we're either a child of God saved by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone or we're not we have a promise either way and we have to realize that and we have to accept it by accepting it we realize we're making a decision. So tonight is a good night for you to reflect and ask yourself in a very sober and in a very real way, which promise am I living tonight? Do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have been saved Do I remember a time in my life when I have asked Christ into my heart and life? I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about baptism. I'm talking about a point in time whether it was in a church or whether it was in a living room or whether it was in an alley or wherever it may have been that you ask Christ into your heart and life to save you. Because there isn't a special place it has to happen. There isn't a special word you have to say. There isn't a special prayer you have to pray. It is just coming to a point where you cry out to God and say, I need you and I need to be saved. And with that answered prayer comes the promise of eternal life. That's all there is to it. But it creates a change. Inside of you. A change that you can't do from the outside in. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not being a different person. It's not choosing to do this and quit doing that. It is a change from the inside out. It is a change inside of you that says, I don't want to do something. I don't want to do what disappoints God. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm not interested in that anymore. I'd rather not do it. Now, putting it into practice may take a little bit of time, but we're all a work of grace every day. Nobody has arrived at perfect grace. Not yet. Every one of us, myself included, fails God daily. And I'm not sharing that with you to give you a license or an excuse. But I want you to realize, you're not going to be perfect. You you may be thinking of ways that you have failed God. And they may be true. But don't beat yourself up over it. Because God's not. All God is saying is, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and come on back. Come on back to me and learn from your mistake. That is the blessing of the two-edged sword of the word of God. There is redemption through the blood of Jesus. And then there is repentance as we learn to grow in that and learn to live in that redemption. God is a loving, gracious, and kind God. He doesn't turn us away. We turn him away. God has done everything that could possibly be done. To bring us back to him. The choice of whether to be there or not. Is up to us. We re- we either accept him or we reject him. It is based on us. Not him. But then there's something else. We have to realize That there is a commendation or congratulations for holding on to the word of God and for clinging to him. God congratulates or he he gives a commendation to those who hold fast, who hold to him. That doesn't mean again that we got to be perfect, but it means that we're genuine enough to keep coming back to him. We're genuine enough to keep coming back and repenting and growing and getting stronger and dealing with everything daily. Understanding that life is tough and God knows how tough it really is. But we know how tough it is. We live it every day. And do we live it every day coming to Him for guidance and direction and peace? Or do we live it every day trying to fulfill something else that's out here that's ungodly? Some some idol, some lust. How do we live it? God wants us to realize that if we stay close to Him and we're trying to follow Him and we keep reaching up to Him, that He's going to be there offering a hand up. He's going to be there offering to get us stronger, to keep us close to Him. He's going to have that commendation. Just like in the Scripture, He gave the testimony of the man Antipas. <coughs> we don't know a lot about Antipas. All we know is that he was someone who clinged to God and clinged to Christianity, to the teachings of Christ. He grew in God daily, even to the point of giving his life for it to the point of refusing to worship and, and refusing anything of the emperors of or, or the Roman Empire and refusing anything of that, those people actually, they killed him for why, for what he believed in. I'm glad and I'm thankful tonight that we don't live in a country where we have to do that. But we also can take that as a picture tonight of what that faithfulness to God requires. It requires a selling out to Him and a giving ourselves over to Him, even to the point of being martyred for what we believe in. God is worth holding on to that tightly. God is worth clinging to even to the point of losing our physical life so that we can gain eternal life. Now that's not the whole point of the the text, of the message. The point is that our salvation gives us eternal life. And because of that salvation and what Christ has done in our heart, we want to hold on that tightly to God. He's worth it. He's worth every, every moment. He's worth every trial and tribulation. He's worth every heartache. He is worth every disappointment. And I can tell you, and I've shared this with you before, I've been down both roads of this. I have. When, when I was a young man, I veered away and I walked away from God. I was still saved. My name was still written in the Lamb's book of life. But I walked away from God and I lived in a conviction of it every day. I was miserable. Everything that I chased after, every road that I went down, every drop of alcohol that I drank, everything that I put into my body, everything that I'd done came up Empty. And my life stayed that way until I came back to God. And then I found fulfillment. Again. And I realized nothing, none of that other stuff mattered. It didn't matter how much money I was able to make. If it wasn't being blessed by God, it was worthless. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. How successful I could become. Unless it was blessed by God. It was worthless. It didn't matter about any of that. Except. The fact that I was right with God. And that's where I have stayed. Ever since. Every since that moment. When I came back to him. I've clung to God. And I've clung tightly. Because I know. There is nothing any better. There is nothing greater than the blessings that we get by growing in and becoming closer to God. A desire to be with Him. What a wonderful thing it is. There is a commendation. God blesses those who cling to Him. Those who desire Him. Those that have a hunger for Him. And that hunger is established not by what we can get from Him, but by just being in his presence. And we can be in his presence through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. But now if we refuse him, there is a compromise. We want to compromise and we want to refuse him. We want to take God maybe and some of the world as well. We want to follow the idea and the path of Balaam and Balak and the Nicolaitans. And we want to go down that road. And we want a little bit of God, but we want a, a little bit of all of this other stuff that's going on too. And we want to look for a mixture of it. You know what we're going to find? Misery. Go back and read about Balaam in the Old Testament. Go back and look it up and read it. And you'll find out Israel fell into misery. Pergamum fell into misery. Everyone that followed the route of compromising God fell into misery. The Roman Empire fell into misery because they rejected God. They wanted to be religious. But at the same time they wanted that religion to honor their leaders in their government. And they fell into misery. And they collapsed. There is a rebuke in God's word and from God himself to those of us who want to compromise. It is a stern warning. It is a real warning. But it is a warning that we can be assured of. Because others have suffered it. I have suffered it personally. And I can attest to it. I can give you a testimony that it's real. Because I have suffered it personally. It doesn't have to be corporate in a church setting. Or in a body setting. It doesn't have to be in a nation. Like it was with Israel or with Rome. It can be personal just between you and God. You can suffer that rebuke and it isn't worth going through. You don't have to do that. You don't have to continue down that road if you're on it tonight. Decide tonight that you want to repent and come back to God if that's where you find yourself tonight. Decide that you want to repent Come back to God and ask God to be back in your heart and in your life. Put God back in the proper place. Because if you will, it brings us to the last thing that I've got tonight. And that is an invitation and a promise. Because inside of that passage at the bottom, there were three things that were given. First, there was the hidden manna. Now, manna is an Old Testament word. If we go back to Exodus, and when Moses led Israel out of captivity, he led them through the, through the, through the wilderness and took them to the Jordan River. And they were there, they were getting ready to cross the Jordan River and move into the promised land. And they decided to send in what they called spies and it was just folks that were 12 they picked 12 people and they were going to send them in there to scope out a path a route and when they went in there they found the bounty and the beauty of the land that's how it got its name the land of milk and honey they saw bundles of grapes that were so large it took two men to carry them on a staff They saw all kinds of blessings of food and prosperity, but they also found other people and God had told them that they would have to overcome those people, but God promised them that he would fight the battles for them. All they had to do was go in there and lay claim to the land that he had given them. The size and the number of the people in the cities. It scared these spies. And they came back and 10 of the 12 told Israel we can't do this. There isn't enough of us. We're scared of these people. We can't do it. And the other two said oh yes we can. We can do it because God promised that we could. Do you know Israel decided not to follow God? They decided not to follow God and God said, okay, for your disobedience, you will wander around in the wilderness for 40 years and when this generation that disobeyed me dies off, then the next generation will have an opportunity to go in. For 40 years they wandered around in the desert. But God still loved them. Even though they disobeyed Him and even though He had to punish them, He still loved them. He provided for them daily. He provided for their needs daily. Manna was a food source that God gave them and it would pop up at night. And they could go out in the morning and they could gather enough For one day. And that's how they would live. They would eat the manna. And they would live day to day. On the blessings of God. And then. On the sixth day. Because the seventh day was a day of rest. On the sixth day. They could gather enough for two days. And then they would eat that for two days. And then they would be back on the one day routine. But the point is. God took care of them. And provided for them. Even though they were in that condition. They were still his children. How does it apply to us? Christ in his grace. And in his mercy. And in his love. And giving his life for us on Calvary's cross. Is a picture of that manna. If you are his child today, if you are born again through Jesus Christ, yes, God is disappointed when we are disobedient. Yes, God has to chastise us or punish us when we are disobedient. But he loves us enough to still allow the blessing of that blood that covered our sin. So we have that every day in our lives. So that's why the message is there today. To never walk away and stay away from God. If we're there, turn around and come back. Don't wander around in the wilderness of the world any longer. Come on back to God while there's time. Come on back while he's calling. Come on back while he's there ready to receive you. There is that manna, that hidden Manna that the angel was talking to Pergamos also there was a white stone and that white stone is the assurance of acceptance by Christ especially after being persecuted or rejected by the world nobody likes to be rejected being rejected hurts being rejected makes us feel poorly of ourselves being rejected hurts us in many ways but God wants you to know that whatever that world out there does to reject us if we are his child if we know him personally through Christ there is no rejection the world can do that will harm us in his eyes However they may push us away, God's always there with arms wide open, ready to receive us. God has that white stone, that assurance. That whiteness is a picture, that color of white is a picture of righteousness. And that stone is a picture of Christ being the cornerstone. There is a righteous cornerstone there that is given to us. For us to cling to and hold on to. And that righteous cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And lastly, there is that new name. And that new name is a symbol of a new person. A new character. When we're saying we're born again, there is a new person that's created inside this body there is a new person that is brought there and set aside and set apart to do God's work. So what are we going to do with that new person? Moving forward, if you're saved, if you're born again tonight, beginning now, what will you do with that new person that you are, that new character, that new name that you have? Is it going to glorify God? Is it going to continue to glorify our God? What will you do with it beginning now, tonight? That's what he was asking Pergamos. He was saying, my son has provided the doorway for all of these eternal blessings. Why do you want to mix them and intermingle them in with the failures and the sins of the world? Come to me, God says. Stay with me. Stay close to me. And let me show you what blessing I can really be in your lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and Lord God, thank you for the privilege of bringing your word tonight. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for everything that is is done these men and the testimony that they have the strength that they're showing and bringing their lives forward. And Lord, I'm praying that they're reaching out to you for strength and guidance and wisdom in the decisions that they're making. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you will bless these men, that you'll bless this home, this household. Lord, that you will lead them and guide them and direct them in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.